part of being an entrepreneur is being a dreamer and a visionary and really making people understand that you have a path to greatness. And I think, again, with the humility that it's not slam dunk, but we really believe that we have a chance to have an app and a company that becomes a massive part of sports culture and a market that everyone knows and hears about and owns shares in. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. And I think that's what made it a successful fundraise. Hey, this is Jesse here, and this is episode 57 of the Betting Startups Podcast. For this one, I'm joined by Bart Stein, co-founder and COO of Mojo, which is the sports stock market. Bart and his co-founders have a huge vision for Mojo, and it was really inspiring to hear the story of it all. Amongst other things, Bart breaks down how Mojo allows people to bet on the career statistics of professional athletes, the story of raising an eye-watering $100 million to fund their mission, and why he's excited by the idea of the Mojo price becoming part of the national sports culture conversation. Bart was an awesome guest, and I hope you enjoy his story as much as I did. But before we get started, I know that there's been lots of doom and gloom in the headlines lately with layoffs and job losses, but rest assured, it's not all bad news. BettingRules.com is the largest job board dedicated to the betting, iGaming, and fantasy sports industry, and it currently has over a thousand open jobs from some of the industry's top employers. It costs absolutely nothing to look at the postings, and even offers free tools to help you find your dream role. Take the first step in your next big chapter in this exciting and growing industry by visiting bettingrolls.com. That's B-E-T-T-I-N-G-R-O-L-E-S.com. All right, we are back on the Betting Startups Podcast, and today we welcome Bart from Mojo. And Bart, I have to admit, I've been super intrigued by Mojo since I first saw the launch announcement. I think it was last March. So appreciate you finding time to join the pod today during an especially busy time with it being the NFL Championship weekend upon us. How are things going on your end during this busy time of year? That's great. Uh, I really, really appreciate you having me on the podcast. You know, always excited to talk to people who are experts in the industry, and we're excited here to share our story with you. And we're very busy, as you can imagine, but always happy to make the time to talk to smart people in the space. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, lots to dive into here. Lisa, which is the team you've built around you at Mojo, which by any objective measure includes absolute titans of business, entrepreneurship, pro sports, venture capital. But before we get to all of that, let's start with a bit about yourself, Bart, and maybe a bit about your background. If you could take a couple of minutes here off the top and tell listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and maybe some of the major chapters of your journey before the co-founding of Mojo. Happy to. Um, you know, I've kind of always been someone who loves product and technology just my whole life, really. Right after college, I was really fortunate and lucky to get a job at Google, working in both product marketing and a little bit of product management. I was there for about like, two years. And then I got the entrepreneurship bug when I was 24. I left Google. I started a software company called Stamped, um, which at the time in like 2010 was sort of a, a Yelp competitor on the iPhone trying to do social recommendations. And I started a bunch of talented people from Google. And we were able to very, again, fortunately, get acquired by Yahoo in 2012. So I was at Yahoo for a couple of years. And I started another company that ended up being acquired by Walmart in 2017. And Walmart was really the formative kind of part of my mojo story. So when I went to Walmart, um, I ended up working for a guy named Mark Mori, who was the founder and CEO of Jet.com, which had been acquired by Walmart. And so at Walmart, uh, he was the CEO of Walmart.com. I was at Walmart for a number of years as an executive, kind of overseeing uh, different parts of their online grocery delivery business, as well as some of their more uh, nascent conversational commerce initiatives. And got to work with Mark really closely there. And after about three years, I left Walmart, took a little bit of a break. And just wanted to get back into entrepreneurship, even though I'd already done it, you know, two different times. 
uh, and called up Mark, who had also left uh, Walmart. And that's kind of segue. I'll get to that in a second of the whole story. But at a very high level, I've just been really fortunate to have been in so many interesting places, so much around technology and innovation and product and startups. And that's really who I am. And that's why I'm at Mojo. Awesome. Well, serial entrepreneur back for another round with Mojo. And yeah. just wondering if we can kind of zoom in on that for a few minutes here and maybe talk a bit about just the origins of Mojo and maybe the origin story. And just what were those initial conversations like and how did it all come together at the very beginning? Yeah. So, so Mark Laurie is really the through line of Mojo. So Mark is a very talented guy, right? He, um, he's a serial entrepreneur. He'd started a bunch of companies. One was diapers.com acquired by Amazon, jet.com acquired by Walmart, you know, big exits of about $4 billion combined. But the little known story about Mark is that before those two companies, about 20 years ago, his first company was a company called the pit.com, which was essentially in 1999, 2000, a precursor to Mojo and that it was a way to sell uh, and buy trading cards online, a stock market type uh, way. And I think they called it E-Trade meets ESPN at the time. And they ended up selling that company to Tops, the largest trading cards company at the time. But they, Mark always felt like there was some unfinished business because they basically used the physical trading card as the proxy for how to kind of get in and out as athletes. And they always kind of knew Mark and his other co-founder, Vinny, who's my other co-founder at Mojo, I'll get to that in a second. They always felt like the trading card was a flawed proxy for true athlete performance. But at the time, they were always hampered by the fact that there was no card then you would really just be gambling. <laughs> and they, the lawyers would tell them, hey, that's just gambling. You can't do it without a physical card. You're just gambling. And so 20 years later, you know, I left Walmart. Mark left Walmart. Mark obviously has you know, lots of capital at his disposal. He was brainstorming with Vinny, his other co-founder from The Pit, and also his co-founder at diapers.com, as to how he could, kind of, he could kind of restart The Pit with access to tons of capital and access to the new legal gambling framework in the United States and do it the right way. And they knew he knew to do it, he was going to need a lot of really interesting and hard to build technology. And we had become friends at Walmart. He knew that that was what I'd love to do. And I had a lot of great engineers who I knew and data scientists. And so he called me up and asked me if I want to join him and Vinny, who was the CEO of Mojo, who was his co-founder of Diapers, and Alex Rodriguez, who was obviously needs no introduction, the very famous baseball player who Mark had become very friendly with host Walmart again, as they bought the Timberwolves together. And so the four of us kind of decided, let's go do this thing. Uh, let's go do this the right way. Let's get it regulated. And we'll get into that in more, I'm sure later on the podcast. And let's try to reimagine this idea of a sports stock market with all the capital and technology and creativity and legalization at our disposal. Awesome. Well, it's a good segue then to do a bit of a deeper dive into Mojo Bart. I think just for the benefit of folks listening that might not be familiar with it, maybe just at a high level and high concept, could you give a bit of an introduction as to what it is, uh, who uses it, and just what the overall value prop is to the users? Right. So, yeah. So the basic idea of Mojo is that you can base, is you can bet on an athlete's career like a stock. And so the way it works is it's a legal sports wagering product in the state of New Jersey. It's only available in New Jersey to start. But as a user, you can basically come on. And you can essentially make what is one of the greatest, or we think greatest, futures bets of all time. You can make a bet on the cumulative career statistics of an NFL player to start. And what you're really doing is you're, you're putting money down that is backed by a statistical formula that is objective. It says, hey, you know, if Zach Wilson throws this many touchdowns and this many yards and this many completions, that's not the formula, but something like that, you know, that's what you get when he retires. And you can basically trade in and out, play by play, second by second, game by game, as expectations for his career move 
uh, that price. And the, so the value prop to the user is what we know already exists in the trading cards. And there was some stuff in, in NFTs that existed years ago where users love to kind of use their knowledge. They have an opinion about who's going to be the next great player, who's going to be the next bus. And they can actually make money off of that in a way that simulates what it's like to buy a stock or trade a stock. And so we did it. Uh, and it's a, you know, a really simple mobile app that really feels and looks like the stock market, but you're essentially trading on the career performance of athletes. Got it. I'd love to go a little deeper here if we could and just maybe break down like the mechanics of how the marketplace and the product works. I'm thinking a little bit about, you know, obviously with any marketplace, there's liquidity issues and, you know, the cold start problem, all of these things. Just sort of curious, Bart, if you could sort of break down the mechanics of it, how the transactions work. And, and I guess what is the underlying asset that's being bought and sold by the users on the platform? Right. So the reason that we got it regulated is that it's really a bet at its core. You know, it's, it's like a stock market, but very clearly you're making a bet. And so what's underpinning it all is that there's this mojo value formula that you can look up again, it's transparent. And so when you're betting on an athlete, an NFL player, you know that when that player retires, your bet is with Mojo, we're the principal, and Mojo is legally entitled to pay you at like a bet, settle the bet based off of these statistics. And the formula is again napkin proof. I'm not gonna I can you can look it up on our website, but it's essentially some combination of yards, touchdowns. Uh, and first downs minus turnovers, pretty easy to follow. So that's what's backing it. And so then at all times, what's happening is, is that you can look up a player and say, okay, you know, again, Zach Wilson, this is price is implying that when he retires, he's going to be worth this amount of money. And I disagree or agree with that. And you can go long or short. And so to the point about liquidity, we don't want you to actually have to wait until retirement, until the player's career is over. So just like any book, we basically do cash out, but on a supercharged fashion. Every minute, every second, we're offering a two-way price. You can go long or short on a two-way market. And we raised about $100 million of capital to essentially be the liquidity provider when we're in one state, you know, and pretty small to start to make sure there was no chicken and egg problems. So there's always a price. There's always a two-way price you can get in and out at. At scale, of course, the dream at scale is to really remove that, to not have to be the liquidity provider at scale. But as of right now, we're providing most of the liquidity, and that's where we raise a lot of the capital to go to, to make sure that as a user, you can always get in and out. There's always a price you can trade at. Gotcha. And as you talked about before, you launched the product this past September, I think with, you know, football only to start, New Jersey only to start, I believe iOS only to start. So a very sort of narrow controlled launch for the first NFL season. Uh, a couple of questions around that, Bart, maybe just the first one, like what's just your overall, I guess, observations been sort of, you know, four months into the journey uh, in, in a live capacity and what's some of the, I guess, feedback you've been hearing from your users about whether this concept is resonating with them? Yeah. So of course, like any founder, um, I'm I'm very uh, I'm very positive and excited about my my company and business. I like the, we we believe what we're seeing is a tremendous response from people in New Jersey. With of course the humility that we didn't get everything perfect when we started, and we've been iterating and, and improving along the way. But at the end of the day, our thesis was that there are people that the value prop is that this is a thing that on Mojo that we're offering that you can't get anywhere else. So there's a million sports betting options and you know, betting apps and there's a lot i have a lot of respect for them but ultimately you cannot bet on the career of an athlete in a way that mojo offers anywhere else and we see that sort of gravitation to this unique product amongst the people in new jersey who, who download and use our app and we also see the actual beauty of what we're trying to get at happening so for instance one user will come on and this is a real story and put fifty thousand dollars down on richie james the 
you know, Giants wide receiver who was kind of a no-name and ride that bet as Richie James really outplayed expectations. His stock has gone up on Mojo. Similarly, Brock Purdy is the most traded player on Mojo in the last six weeks, and people who have been able to get into him six weeks ago are making a lot more money than the people who got into him you know, a week ago because they called it early. And we see Mojo in the sports culture showing up in ESPN you know, seven to eight times as ESPN starts to cite our career prices as great rankings and definitive information on athletes. And so it's kind of been playing out the way we hope, which is that it's really this differentiated, different product that people in New Jersey are gravitating towards in a way that these like, just can't get it anywhere else. Of course, you know, what we're trying to do more and more is really expand our offering. We're just at NFL, iOS. We just launched Android last week, but iOS, you know, one state. So we want to offer more, obviously, more sports, more states. And ultimately, just like the stock market, you know, it's not just stock markets have options and derivatives and different types of things you can do. And we're trying to offer shorter term prop bets that are more like stocks that are over a game or a few weeks. So really just injecting more and more things our users can have fun and enjoy while they're in the app. Awesome. And I also want to ask a little bit about just again, based on the first four-ish months of being live, you know, how are your users sort of perceiving the product just from a positioning perspective, right? I mean, as you pointed out, it's regulated as a betting product. It's marketed as a stock market for sports or athletes. What are you finding in terms of, I guess, the early adopters? Who are these people? Are they sports bettors that have found it? Are they fantasy sports players that are, you know, looking at the player's performance over the lifetime? Is it some combination of both? Just sort of what are you seeing, I guess, in terms of these early adopter users and their use of the platform? Yeah, I mean, again, be pretty transparent. I'd say that our early adopters are definitely more Wall Street trader types, fantasy football, fantasy sports players. And actually, what I think is one of the most shocking or encouraging things, really just like casual bettors, like more, um, it's actually in some weird way, you know, putting 20 bucks or 50 bucks down on Tom Brady or Daniel Jones is almost like the simplest bet you can make. So it's like buying a trading card in a much digital, more digital way. Hey, do I like this guy? I put $50 down. It goes up. He goes, plays well. He goes up. He plays badly. He goes down. And we've seen a lot of that kind of early usage of just for more average casual fans. The, the one group, which is one of whether other reasons around this podcast is, you know, we, 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 don't, we don't see as many like hardcore gamblers in our early cohorts. We don't offer, to be frank, right now that kind of like quick action volatility that you might get from a parlay or a micro bet. And I think, you know, that was intentional. We do, this is more of a strategic, safer bet that you can make. It's over a longer horizon. It's much more statistical. But of course, like any company as a business, our objective is to kind of, we want to get everybody. So we are offering, and we've just started to test out some shorter term prop bets that are like stocks, but they have a little bit more volatility and more upside. So I think, to just very directly answer your question, I'd say fantasy players, more sort of Wall Street type traders. And I think actually the funny, the casual sports fan who just likes their guy and wants to make a statement and say, I know this guy is going to be great. Danny Dimes all the way, 100 bucks on him. He's going to the Super Bowl. You know, that's kind of what we see. Right on. And just sticking with another question around just users and, and your customer base, the topic of user acquisition, right? I mean, you're in a very competitive category, anything, you know, consumer mobile, consumer social, anything like this is notoriously difficult to acquire users. How are you thinking about user acquisition at scale? And I know it's early days and, you know, single state so far, et cetera, but at scale, how are you guys thinking about user acquisition and really what is, I guess, you know, your your strategy for really getting the, not only the brand out there and the product out there, but this idea of a sports, a sports stock market. How are you really planning on getting that message propagated and, and acquiring those users? It's a great question. So um, 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, again, to be frank, of course, that's like the number one thing we think about. It's very hard to acquire users in a highly competitive space. Our view is that we believe really strongly that what we're doing is different. It's very different. There's, you cannot get this bet anywhere else. You can't get our user interface. And we do everything in-house. We do the technology. We do the odds. We're, we're, doing the, we're, we're powering the wallet. All the, We have our own marketing team, everything. So what we try to do is we believe that in the long run, that differentiation is, makes it more attractive as a, as a proposition. It just makes it easier to market, which we've, we've seen some early success in, is that we're not trying to compete on promos and giveaways and offering the same beds everybody else. That's the, that's the first thing. The second thing, which is much more interesting and takes, I think will take longer, but again, that little bit of early seedings of success is we think that just looking at the prices of what's going on in Mojo is intellectually interesting and can be talked about and disseminated in the 50 states. And we see that again, in ESPN, you know, there's just a column that talks about Zach Wilson getting benched and then it cites Zach Wilson's price on Mojo going down 18%. Someone who reads that goes, what's Mojo? And then they go try to find it and see what they're talking about. And that's like the cheapest customer acquisition possible. And we've seen corollaries to that in other industries. And, you know, you've heard of political prediction markets where they talk about the odds of elections. In some ways, Rotten Tomatoes is essentially a market on the, on the quality of movies. It's the wisdom of the crowd saying how good or bad a movie is. Yelps for restaurants. And for, for professional athletes, it's really just the punditry that's talking about it. And we think at scale, imagine knowing, hey, Joe Burrow is better than Josh Allen because you know the mojo market, which is the only market for the career statistics of athletes has real money saying that. That's our dream. That's what we're, we're amped to do. And we think that's the ultimate customer acquisition weapon is to have that be out there that people are discovering organically. Gotcha. So basically having the mojo price be part of sort of the lexicon within the national discourse around anything sports and athlete related. Is that a fair assessment of it? Exactly. <laughs> you got it. That's the dream. Um, we know we're, yeah, we, we are humble. We know that that's not going to happen in one month. But on the flip side of it, we have seen some of it. We, you know, we always, it's like the most incredible part of this being an entrepreneur, right? Sometimes you see your dreams come true. Like it was in ESPN. It's been in Sports Illustrated once. Like we've seen some of that happen. And if you go to Twitter, you see that some people talk about it and it it's starting to happen. It takes time. We think it'll be a compounding, you know, super linear effect where over time, the more, the more and more happens, right? But it's pretty amazing to see even little tidbits of it. Awesome. Let's shift here a little bit, Bart. Uh, you alluded a few minutes ago to the fundraising journey that Mojo's been on, which resulted in uh, about $100 million, I believe, in capital that you raised, which is a significant number by any stretch, but particularly within, uh, I guess, you know, the, the fan engagement category. I mean, there's not a lot of early stage companies raising that sum of capital. So I have a few questions around that, if you would. First thing, just if you could talk yeah. us through just the overall fundraising journey, including why did you and the team decide? Decide to raise such a significant sum of capital at the very beginning? So the, the, the first thing was back to your earlier question is we are trying to set up a new gambling market on the futures of athletes. And we thought it was really important to make sure there was liquidity for our customers at all times and to really try to squash any type of concerns around trust and safety with this platform. And so we want a big, we want a big number so that users know this is a real company. And there's a lot of you know people. And this is a, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that may claim to be a stock market, sports stock market. They, they might bandy around that phrase, but we wanted to go out there, have a lot of capital on the balance sheet and get regulated properly by the state of New Jersey under the sports wagering laws. So a lot of the capital was really towards the trust and the safety of the user. And we thought that was important to users to know that and have that confidence in us that they could trade with us. That was the first thing. Second thing from a more business perspective is that we raised it in 2021, which we all know was 
a much more um, attractive time to be raising capital. One of the things that we were doing was, which is real and true, is that we believe sports betting in the United States is going to be a massive space. We believe that the amount of people in the country who want to engage with sports betting and or sports is probably 70% of the country at some metric you look at it that way. And we don't think that there are many um, companies that are going to win it and they're not going to, and there's not many companies doing anything different. Like, so from a pitch perspective, a venture capital perspective, we were able to go raise a large sum of money because if you look at the landscape, it's mostly the same product. And there's some, I, there's always some exceptions and I'm not trying to criticize every other company, but most of the space is a commoditized space. And so when you have a large growing market with mostly commodities in it, and you're coming in there and saying, I can do something really different. I can do it all in house. And I think there's a really good angle here. It's an attractive investment thesis for venture capitalists. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just going to ask that part, Bart. I mean, you alluded to the fact that part of the round was, you know, with participation from some of the founders and maybe the surrounding team. But, you know, you do have venture capitalists on the cap table as well. So I was just going to ask, as you were out there fundraising, albeit 2021, a much different environment than today. But, you know, what was, I guess, some of the feedback that you and the team heard from venture capitalists just around, I guess, the opportunity that Mojo is pursuing. And as you talk about the differentiating aspect of it compared to more traditional fixed odds sports books, what was some of that feedback, I guess, you heard as you reflect back on that in 2021? Yeah, I think the feedback was really, wow. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's a moonshot. You know, that's what venture capitalists want, sort of low probability chances of doing something massive. You know, that's what they're, you know, that's, their, that's how venture capital works. And so, we really believed and we pitched and I think it was authentic and that's why it was somewhat successful is that, that we have a moonshot chance here to really change sports culture and really become this new way of betting, investing, whatever you want to call it, in sports in a way that all the existing players are just not set up to do and are not doing. And so the, the investment thesis is, yeah, I believe sports is huge. I believe betting on sports is huge. I believe fans love engaging with sports. If I look at everything out there, it's you know, 95% of it's the same. And so here's this company that is pitching something pretty different. And if it works, if you actually pull it off and you have a career player stock market operating nationally that's in sports culture and the prices are attached to players as they stream on TV and people can get in and out second by second, it can be a, a huge company that changes sports culture and how we think about sports and the players we follow. And of course, it's not a slam dunk in, in venture capital. But it's something that I think is really captures the imagination of what's possible and how big it could be. Absolutely. And final question, just on the fundraising journey, Bart, given that you've successfully raised, you know, nine figures worth of capital into Mojo for the other entrepreneurs in the industry that are listening to this that are considering raising money. Just curious if you have any fundraising advice you can share with them as they embark on their own capital raising initiatives. Well, first thing I'll say is I've done three startups and one piece of advice I'd give is I have no idea what I'm doing. So don't listen to my advice. It never gets easier. It's always hard. All the advice you get is usually like very flawed because your specific situation is unique. So I always tell entrepreneurs, like don't over index on anyone's advice because you kind of know your business better than anyone. I will say the only generic thing I could say, which I just said, is truthfully that you got to just make people believe and you have to believe it yourself that there's a truly massive outcome here. It's not, you know, that you're doing this for the moonshot. There's a way to make this company tens of billions of dollars. I think sometimes entrepreneurs get a little caught in trying to be too um, practical 
which I know sounds a little weird, but part of being an entrepreneur is being a dreamer and a visionary and really making people understand that you have a path to greatness. And I think, you know, we believe, again, with the humility that it's not slam dunk, but we really believe that we have a chance to have an app and a company that becomes a massive part of sports culture and a market that everyone knows and hears about and, and owns shares in. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. And I think that's what made it a successful fundraise. Awesome. Well, we can leave the fundraising conversation there. Uh, I do want to ask you one question, though, Bart, before we get out of here today, just on the state of product innovation within the broader fan engagement category and just, you know, recognizing your background being in product and product management and innovation. Just curious on, yeah, what your sentiment is right now on the state of it. And maybe if there's anything catching your attention right now that you think is interesting, of course, outside anything you guys are working on at Mojo. Yeah, I mean, I think better in the industry, like, you know, the guys from better, I give them a lot of credit, whatever you think about micro betting or whatever your pain is, I really applaud them for just trying to do something different. You know, they're trying to focus on something, they have a new UI, it's fresh, it's different. And I think that's a really cool approach to the industry. And I wish those guys the best. Like, I think that's, I really applaud that type of innovation. I think Sportray is also doing some really cool stuff in New Jersey, trying something different. I really applaud people who just try to do something that's not just down the middle, you know, another sports book with a, with a new, with kind of a new skin on top of it. I think you really have to do something fundamentally different. And I think there's not that many of us. Uh, we're, we're a lonely group. Uh, it's because it's a hard challenge and the odds are kind of stacked against you because everyone's familiar with something. But I think the people who take the time to do it and try something different, whether it's better or us or sport trade, we're going to be hopefully rewarded in the end for taking that taking that leap and doing something different because in the end differentiation is what matters in business in my opinion yep absolutely looking ahead to 2023 ahead of us here what are the major milestones you and the team are focused on um and, you know people alluded to the fact that right now it's a single state single sport now two different mobile platforms but i guess yeah what does the roadmap look like for mojo this year and what can we expect to see coming out of the company over the next 12 months yeah, so we just launched a beta test, something called Liquid Props. So we are now testing. You can invest in an athlete's career and bet on their career. We're now letting you bet on their game like a stock. So it's a very similar concept where you're buying a statistical payout. It's, it's like a player prop bet, but it's, it's like with this incredible play-by-play -play liquidity where there's a graph of the stat. It's moving second by second. You can get in and out. It's a non-binary fixed odds payout where the more you're right, the more you win, the less you're wrong, the less you lose. And we've actually seen some tremendous response to that last weekend. We did our first beta test. So I'm really excited about that. That's one kind of area of investment is obviously shorter term stuff. The more obvious things we're doing is uh, we're going to do more sports. We're, we want to get every sport that we can possibly be in. So we're working on that feverishly. And then more states. We did announce publicly that we have some market access agreements in a bunch of different states. So I think that's the three tiers in priority is more innovation in the product, more more types of ways to bet on athletes like stocks, the true sports stock market, more sports, and then ultimately more states. Awesome. And if we take that timeline, Bart, and extend it out, say, five years, if you had your crystal ball in front of you and you were looking into it, you know, where do we see Mojo five years from now? And sort of where does it sit and what does it represent within the broader landscape at that time? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think the dream, as I said, in five years is there's two things that I'd be very proud of we were able to pull it off. One is that Mojo has become part of like the national sports culture conversation where a pro, when you're trying to evaluate a player, rank a player, it makes no sense not to look at the Mojo price because that price is such an authoritative market-driven analysis of their future. That's the first thing. The second thing is that Mojo as a product and a value prop to users is just this most exciting, liquid, live way to bet on players. It's, you know, it's their careers, their seasons, it's their next game, it's their next, eventually their next play at some point. 
And it's just this really interesting new live liquid market that is a totally different lens on how to bet where it's not an all or nothing binary you know, bet. It's really like a stock where everything's moving second by second in a way that feels like a market, a stock market, but it's really betting on athletes. And that's, that's where we're trying to head to on those two directions. And I feel confident we'll be there, but we'll check back in five years and see where, what I, if I was right. Awesome. Well, we can leave uh, everything mojo there for the minute, but I have two more quick questions before we get out here today, Bart. First is, as I alluded to, we have the NFL championship weekend ahead of us. So I want to quickly get your predictions and perspective on both games, both the 49ers at Eagles on the NFC side, Bengals at Chiefs on the AFC side. How do you see those games playing out this weekend, Bart? So I'm a Jets fan, so I long ago stopped caring about the NFL playoffs. But um, I, uh, I still am a fan. I, I'm going Bengals-Eagles in the Super Bowl. I think it's just uh, that Eagles-Giants game was a little scary for anyone in the NFC. It looked like they were pretty dominant at home. And I think that, you know, I, got, I think you got to ride Joe Burrow right now. It, depending on Mahomes' health, that's where, I, that's where I'd be going. Awesome. All right. We'll check back in on that one next week, too, after the fact. But that takes us to my standard closing question today, Bart, which is this. If you haven't heard it before. If you weren't working on Mojo or in sports or in tech or in any of your past careers in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? Great question. I'd want to get as far away from tech as possible. <laughs> I'd probably run a donut shop in the country somewhere, in the, in the rural, somewhere rural. Uh, just run a nice donut shop, some donuts, be done by 12 o'clock, go home. That's what I'd be doing. There we go. The simple life. Love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. And for folks listening that want to check out the product and or get in touch with yourself, Bart, or a member of your team, where can you point them towards to do all of that? Yeah, mojo.com. You just go to mojo.com, learn about the product. Um, and uh, yeah, you can check it out. And I'm, I'm on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm not, I don't, I'm not as you know, famous as some of my co-founders like Mark and A-Rod, but if you want to reach out to me, I'm sure you can. Awesome. Well, we'll drop links in the show notes to all those touch points for you and the company. But for now, Bart, really appreciate you joining today. It's been awesome to do a deeper dive on Mojo, learn more about it. Really wishing you and the team all the best for the year ahead. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you.